The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Luke chapter number 24, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and he is talking to those two on the road to Emmaus, and he is encouraging them uh, about their reception of the word of God and uh, realizing uh, that uh, they, they were slow of heart to believe, slow to understand uh, what he was talking about. And so let's look at Luke chapter 24 and verse number 25, and let's look at what Jesus said to them. He says this, and he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in and tarried with them. And it came to pass, as he sat down at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to them. Uh, by the way, the table blessing and, uh, and praying before we eat is something that Jesus modeled for us, right? And that's something that we, we do in uh, likeness of him giving thanks. Uh, and he modeled that for us. And so we, they, they ate together, verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. By the way, uh, it, was, it was nighttime. So they, they were so excited that they rose up and they went right back to Jerusalem. What an amazing thing. And so what we, what we want to grab out of that passage of Scripture as we uh, get back into the grand story, the whole story of Scripture, is we want to grab this, that Jesus himself helped these two individuals to realize that the Bible was really about all one person. And that it is one unified narrative that all points to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to look up and pick up in point number three. We're going to look at this matter of how that is a grand storyline. All the way through scripture, there's one grand storyline. Last week we looked at what the Bible is not and what the Bible is. You can pick that up online and that's available online. What the Bible is not and what it is. But tonight we're going to look at this matter of it's one grand storyline that, that Jesus Christ has given to us in his word. And we're going to look at that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the fact that you yourself, to these two disciples, helped them to understand that the Bible really was all about you. And while there's many different perspectives on Scripture, Lord, you gave us a, a perspective on Scripture that was highly important and one that we need in order to break down the Word of God into our own lives and to understand it. So help us, Lord, be our teacher tonight, and I pray that these practical truths would, uh, would guide us in our own Bible study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Something I want us to understand right off the, off the bat is this. To know the Bible is to know God, Right? To know the Bible is to know God. So you say, I want to be closer to the Lord. Well, how close are you to the Bible? 
What is your relationship with the word? Do you think about it in the off moments of the day? Or is there something that uh, you kind of, you have it in its, its own segmented time of your day and it kind of stays in that segment from whatever, 6.30 to 7 o'clock or 6.30 to 6, uh, 6.45 and that's my time for the Bible, that's my time with, uh, with God and then, you know, I go on with my day. No, uh, to know God is to know the Bible and to know the Bible is to know God. And how important it is for us to dive into it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. It takes work. The Bible is a supernatural book. It's a spiritual book. It's a living book. And it takes work to understand it. It's not one that we just open up and we read on the first pass. It is something that takes work and takes work to understand. So to know God is to know his word. And so that behooves us to jump into it and try to understand it and ask the Holy Spirit's help. But as we go through through the Bible, we want to understand that it is one storyline. There is one one key thought that God is trying to get across. We could say it in this way, and we'll, we'll say more about this in a moment, but it really has a, a redemptive focus. The whole Bible is about how God is going to redeem man back to himself. And it's a progressive laying out of that story. It's a progressive revelation. It's completed now. We have all of it right now, but it is a, a progressive story being laid out on how we can understand that he is trying to redeem man back to himself. Notice this, in this first part of this grand storyline, we come to this first part in the first pages of Scripture. Genesis is an amazing book. I was telling the teenagers before the, uh, before the service, we were sitting around in the hospitality room, uh, and we were, we were talking about the book of Genesis. They're going through that as, um, as grace teens down there right now. And it's an amazing book because everything that we see going wrong in our world right now really is, a, is, is, is an, our issue with Genesis. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, is there evolution? Well, God says in the beginning, he created everything. Genesis 1.27, he was the one that said, I made, uh, I made human beings, male and female. The end of Genesis chapter 2, he says that marriage is between Adam and Eve. And man shall, uh, shall leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And he establishes marriage. He establishes gender. He establishes marriage. He establishes uh, uh, human government. And Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 6, where he, he gave man the responsibility, those that, that would murder another man, uh, there was a governmental system that was to, uh, to hold that person accountable for taking someone who was made in the image of God, hold them to account, and capital punishment was, in, uh, was instituted at that point. So we see that in the earliest pages of Scripture, we find some very important pieces of information that are key to our living on this earth. And first of all, let us just notice this. The creation, chapter 1, and it's further explained in chapter number two, but we come to chapter number three and the fall. Now think about this in the grand storyline. This was the grand tragedy. You think about all that God did in creation. The, the wonder of creation. Every, every part of Genesis chapter one, we find that God spoke and it came to be. By the word of his mouth, the heavens were formed. By the word of his mouth, the oceans were, were put in place. What an amazing God we serve. And the Bible says in um, uh, Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. And through his own word, through the power of his word, he was able to create everything within a span of six days. And he rested on the seventh day. The crowning jewel of creation was mankind. Not mammals, but mankind. Uh, he was a crowning jewel of creation. 
And uh, ladies, you should understand that God helps us to see in chapter number two that you were the real crowning jewel of, of, of the crowning jewel. You were, the, uh, you were, you were the, the, the final touch on creation that made it very good. In fact, God said before man, before woman was created, it was not good that man should be alone. Genesis 1.32, when he was commenting on all of creation, he said it was very good. When, uh, when God created woman, it was very good. It was the final touch. And so we understand that, that God's creation was without corruption. It was without decay. It was without death. And all these things now dominate the world, do they not? So let me ask you a question. Do not people ask, do not people ask, why would a loving God allow death to happen? Uh, why would a loving God send people to hell? And they have these questions. Why would, why would a loving God allow a pandemic to rage through the world? Why would a loving God this? But the Bible tells us that, that God did not create it this way. There was no corruption. There was no death. It was absolute perfection. And we find that these things dominate the world because of our sin. Romans 8 and verse number 20, we find that these things are dominating the world. And the world is groaning under the, the strain and the weight of all this. He placed human beings in the world as his masterpiece. He intended that they would reflect his image. Genesis 1.27, we are made in the image of God. And he intended that we would reflect him. That's an amazing, amazing thing, that God would create something like us to reflect him, his beauty, his glory, everything about him. We are made in the image of God. That's why every life is sacred. And that is also why God in Genesis chapter number 9 instituted capital punishment. He literally says at the end of um, verse number 6 that it is because they took, because they violated the image of God, they took something that was made in the image of God. And he says, by man, whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed because he, he shed uh, man's, uh, uh, something that was made in the image of God. I'm paraphrasing there. And so understand that this is a very important thing. God created us that way. We were created to adore God, to serve God, Yes, there was work before the fall. There was work before the fall. And you know what? There will be work in heaven. We'll have the opportunity to serve our creator for the rest of eternity. But before all the fall, there was an opportunity for Adam and Eve to serve. They were, had the opportunity to love each other. And if we had chosen to live like that, we would know happiness, true happiness, like unstoppable happiness. Complete happiness in life in a perfect world. But we wanted God to serve our purposes. Eve wanted God to be at her request and to be uh, a God in, uh, that was able to be handled by her. And so rather than trusting God and him knowing all things and knowing that the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would uh, make them wise about all things, uh, all things and in the wrong way, she, she said, no, I, I want to I be like God. I want to be like God. And, and she took of that of that fruit whatever it was adam as well and they sinned against god and that's an amazing thing to me that the first sin was simply the sin of disobedience just disobedience it wasn't murder it was disobedience against the holy god and so instead of living for god and loving our neighbors our world is full of people that have turned away from God and we, we live self-centered lives. Eve, well, that would make me happy. We do the same thing. 
this would make me happy. The, the lust of the eyes, all that looks so good. The, the lust of the flesh, boy, that would make me feel good. The pride of life, boy, that would help me to, to understand things like God understands things. And so Eve went through all that, 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 the process of Satan's temptation. And instead of living for God and loving, uh, she turned away and lived a self-centered life in that moment. And because our relationship was broken with God and her relationship spiritually was severed from God, you realize all of our other relationships are severed. Everything became a problem at that point. And even the, the first marriage problems would have happened after that. The first arguments between Adam and Eve, I can guarantee you there was an argument after that one, right? Uh, the first marital issues and the first struggles between human beings, all the relationships, because the, their relationship was now severed from God, all the other relationships in the world would be severed uh, uh, from one another. There would be problems, there would be ruptures in the relationships. We find that in the rest of this of this passage of scripture think about genesis chapter 3 and how it flows out all of a sudden now there's blame shifting going on well i did it god because the woman you gave me did it well i did it because the serpent and now we have blame shifting it wasn't me it was them and we have this tension that's going on in relationships imagine how not uh, yeah imagine how that evening went in in mr uh, adam's home uh you, you, you showed me up in front of God. Like, I mean, this is what was going on. She, uh, she was literally thrown under the bus in, that, in, in, in the sense of that, that saying. It was, it, these were difficult times uh, for, uh, for humanity as they turned away from God. So the result is, the result is that physically, psychologically, socially, there was decay and breakdown now. Everything was marked. Sin ruined everything. So as we deal with a, a culture and a world that is just suffering under the, the, the influence and the results of sin, the brokenness of sin, realize we have answers for them. Where did this all come from? We have answers for this. Creation, we were created beautifully, and it was wonderful, but man sinned against God and ruined and marred everything, including our own relationship with God. So where does that lead us next? That's, that's the, the grand tragedy. You talk about a tragedy, really think about that. Think about the fact that we were created in perfection and we, we, we blew the opportunity. And we would have too if we were in that situation. But notice what that leads us to next, God's holiness in love, the grand tension. The grand tension. How did God respond? How did God respond immediately to Adam and Eve and to humanity? Did he respond with wrath toward the human race or with love? Well, the answer is both. Romans chapter number 1, let's turn over there um, for a moment this, um, this evening. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 18. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 18 ask you to do a little bit of turning tonight. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 18. Do I have someone that would um, be willing to st uh, stand and read that once we get there? Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 18. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, isn't it? So yes, uh, because of man's sin, there's wrath. 
What does John 3, 16 now say? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have God's wrath as a result that he is a holy God being displayed upon human beings. But then he says, no, 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 no. It's not just that I'm, I'm holy and I, I, must, I must condemn. I love and so I've sent my son to take the punishment for the sin. So God insists on truth. He demands that we do right. He thr- uh, threatens punishment when we disobey and we do evil. He did not just say, oh, you know, I know what I said to you, Adam, but um, because, because I'm so loving, I, I, I guess I will give you another try. No, he, what he said actually came to pass. He said, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. They were separated from God. There was a death in their spirit between them and God. They are now separated from God that led to a physical death. And so God says, I insist on truth. I demand that you do right. Uh, uh, you will be punished if you disobey. By the way, here's another, uh, another kind of tip for us, uh, those that, that we have children or look forward to having children. Do you know that God, God is a God of rules? And we need, to ob- we need to teach our children the same response that, and the same way that God taught his children, Adam and Eve, if you disobey, here is the consequence. And not just be kind of wishy-washy about it, but here's the consequence. And we, we need to be consistent like our God. So God insists on truth, but he also pursues the human race in love. And immediately in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, he begins to tell the, uh, the, uh, Adam and Eve, here's what I'm going to do to bring you back to myself. He declared his intention to save and not allow, not allow them to perish in their sin. So God calls a people to himself. Let's fast forward uh, to the people of Israel. They, uh, Jacob's family is down in Israel. Remember the story? They go down because there's food down there. Joseph welcomes them in. They're enjoying. They're set up in the land of Goshen. And now there's a new king. Uh, uh, Jacob is off the scene. Joseph is off the scene. There's a new king that knew not Joseph. And now they are turned into the slaves for the people of Egypt and towards the Pharaoh. They begin to undo the building projects. And so God calls this people. He was going to form this people who were the descendants of Abraham. They were going to be his people, people who knew his holy character. They, they would know his law. They would know his love. They would know his grace. They would know his holiness, but they would also know his love. And this community uh, began, Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8 began as, and as a, an extended family. And, and then God God uh, took Israel, who was there in Egypt, and God uh, 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 formed them under, under Moses, and they came out of, the, out of the land of Egypt. You know the story, the Exodus, and, and chap, uh, chapter number one of Exodus, how they began to work their way out through the plagues, and God delivered them with a strong and mighty arm. With this people, God made a covenant. I want us to turn over to Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus chapter number 19. In the first eight verses... It was with this people that was calling out of Egypt that God made a covenant to be their loving God, and they would promise to be his faithful people. Exodus chapter number uh, 19 and verse number 1. And we're going to read these verses uh, together down through here. And I want us to see how that God was establishing this covenant with his own people. Exodus chapter number 19 and verse number 1. The Bible says in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. 
For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and were come uh, and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God and, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did to, unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. I was reading that earlier this week and uh, the picture of bearing us on eagles' wings. That's a really great picture. I don't know what you might be uh, struggling with tonight, but just know that, that God is the God that can bear you on eagle's wings, can lift you up and lift you above it, lift you out of the despair and give you encouragement. But that's what he did. He bare him on eagle's wings. Verse number five. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And notice verse number 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. We will do. Now, have you ever said something to God? If you, if, if, if you Lord, uh, will get me out of this situation, I'll do this. Uh, you sometimes talk about uh, foxhole religion. You know? If you get me out of this situation, I uh, will do it. And, and here's, here's the children of Israel. They're saying, they're making a promise. They're making a covenant back to God. All that the Lord said, we're going to do. <laughs> we know how that story turns out. And, uh, and, and realizing the own weakness of our own flesh, we realize we'd be in the same boat. And, and verse number 8, finishing it out, And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. By the way, God heard him say that. But isn't that interesting how, how Moses carries it back to the Lord uh, in that situation? All that the Lord said we'll do. So he created a covenant with them. I will love you. I'll be your God. And I want you to love me, and I want you to be my people. And they said, yes, Lord, we will do it. But history of their covenant relationship with God is, is a, one of constant failure, is it not? Constantly, over and over, they're failing God as a, as a people. And over and over, God is trying to win them back. And if you read through the Old Testament with the wrong perspective, you'll look at God as just this mean, vindictive God that's constantly uh, uh, judging his people for their sin. No, God was trying to win his people back. Why did he send the prophets to them over and over? He, he wanted to gather them back to himself, but they would refuse. And, they, and, and even through the time of the judges, God would allow them to um, suffer under the consequences of their sin and come into bondage, and God would raise up a deliverer, and he would deliver them, and they would go the right way for a, a, a for a bit of time and then they would begin looking at the nations and, and eyeing the gods of the nations and eyeing the ways of the nations and they would go right back into their sin and right back into bondage and God would raise up a deliverer to deliver them again. All pictures, beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ and what he would ultimately do for the people. So we have this tension that's going on. God is holy. He requires judgment over sin, against sin. He has to do that. And so we have the tension of that with his love. He loves his people. He's constantly trying to bring them back to himself. And it's back and forth over and over. And you know, good stories. I, uh, I, I didn't read a lot growing up. I 
was telling the teenagers ahead of, again ahead of the service I didn't have my first iPhone until the iPhone 4 and I guess that was probably 2008 or 2009 I'm like <gasps> like how did you live like I said I had flip phones without internet how did you live well we did have computers growing up and I got hooked pretty quick on those things uh, the tank game you know running the tank do you remember that game you were running this little uh, pixel tank through the the desert shooting other things I mean and it would take time and then we graduated the need for speed and that type of stuff and that that was an interesting an interesting thing but you know I I, I think that in some ways I I began to suffer because I was interested in that stuff and I didn't get engaged in reading until I really got to college but you know that I've, I've learned there that that books as I've grown more in reading that books that are really good and keep you have a a tension don't they they have something that needs to be resolved even good music has tension every once in a while we'd practice in a long that don't doesn't sound right and they say no that that's put in there on purpose it, it's tension well where does it resolve it has to be resolved it needs to be resolved but good good books good music has has a, a point of tension like where you think it, it, it just can't go on that way something has to give and that's exactly what was going on God's holiness and his tension all the way through the Old Testament is is being constantly in tension as as we see it played out in the children of Israel in fact two-thirds of the Bible, that part we call the Old Testament, is one of constant tension between God's holiness and his love. Constant. God's holiness is unchangeable and is consistently opposed to evil and injustice and wrong. We think about the opening of the book of Habakkuk and what was the, uh, Habakkuk so distraught about as he was uh, looking on the culture around him was full of injustice and greed. You know, it's all right for us to be concerned and bothered by the injustice we see in our world today. And he's coming to God. God, you can't allow this. This goes against your character. And constantly in intention there was between God's holiness and his love. He enters into this relationship with his people that are fatally self-centered right they're constantly looking and wanting to go their own way what was easier and the question would he bring down a curse upon his people like his holiness would demand or would he forgive his people regardless of their sin and the fact is to do either to do either would allow sin to win now think about that if god just came down on them and destroyed them their sin would have won, won the day, would have conquered over them. If he would have just forgiven them regardless of, uh, of his holiness and just, and, and just shown complete mercy, sin would have, have won. But it seems impossible that God could do both. We look at how are, how are these tensions going to be reconciled? How is it going to happen? And even as we think about the, the covenant relationship he had with his people, was it conditional? Was it conditional so that that failure is punished or was it unconditional so that the covenant is remained despite the people's failure? And the answer again is yes, just like like God was going to work these things together. Would he would he come against his people? Would he forgive them? Would he hold their on their sin to account? Yes. In the same way, this covenant conditional and unconditional, God would God would meet it in this grand plan of redemption that leads us to a third thought tonight. God's redemptive plan, the grand rescue. And this is what the whole Bible's driving towards. All the way through the, the Old Testament, we have this tension that's going on, and it's, it's released 
And if, if, this was a, if this was a music score, it'd be finally released as we open up into the, the New Testament. We begin to see the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This resolution is largely hid in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's hinted at, it's prophesied that it would be coming. Joel prophesies about it. But it's largely hid. Isaiah comes close to unveiling it in the first part. And I know, Brother Snyder, you've done a lot of study through the, the book of Isaiah. But in the, the first part, we have the glorious king who brings God's judgment upon his people. But in the second part, we see uh, Jesus Christ, or we see this, this king as being portrayed as the, the suffering servant, right? And that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see both of those, 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 uh, uh, those revelations mentioned in the book of Isaiah. But in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes as the substitute. What was prophesied is coming to pass in Isaiah, come to pass in the future in Isaiah, happened in the New Testament. He would live a life that we should have lived and die a death that we should have died in our place, in our place place what love is this and it's like you come in the new testament and it's a beautiful beautiful resolution of all this tension that was going on throughout the old testament by living a perfect life jesus earned god's blessing for obedience by dying on a cross he takes the curse for our disobedience. When we believe in him, he receives the punishment we deserve, and we in turn receive the eternal life that he alone can give. What an amazing God we serve. 2 Corinthians 5.21, let's turn over there for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 21. This is a wonderful passage of scripture to help us to understand what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 21. Verse 17, you know well, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But as we come down through there, we're told that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. As Jesus Christ had the ministry of reconciling us to God, we in turn have the ministry of reconciling others to God, pointing their way to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 19, we're told that we have the word of reconciliation. He's given us the tool. He's told us in verse number 20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are message bearers of this ministry of reconciliation. In verse 21, look at it. Let's read it out loud together. Are you there? Ready, begin. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me tell you, if you need to help a person to understand and sharing the gospel with them, that Jesus wants to make a transaction with them, he wants to take all of their sin, and he wants to give them all of his righteousness, there's the verse. It's an amazing verse that speaks to the imputed righteousness that Jesus Christ gives to us. And so when we believe in him, he receives the punishment that we deserve. And we receive the eternal life and the imputed righteousness that he alone can give. And he does this not only to pardon our guilt, but eventually to free us from all sin. And to give us a glorious new body. Isn't that a blessing? Yeah. You feeling the need for a glorious new body? Even a perfect renewed world in his presence. An eternal state. What a grand thing. Only God could design a recovery like that. Only God could design a rescue plan like that. And so why is it that the Bible is the grandest story of all? 
I mean, you talk about tension between holy God, creator, and his creation that had violated his commands and sinned against him. What tension. And the most compelling stories have high stakes. They have astonishing, unexpected resolutions. And if this is the case, the Bible is the greatest story that has ever been written. But it's a true story. It's a narrative. It's, it's not just some fairy tale. The, the stakes were literally, I mean, they're ginormous. They're, they're bigger than the universe. The stakes between on God's holiness and his love and, and our situation that we were in before a holy God. It seemed impossible that God could be true to himself, fully good and loving, and as well fully righteous and just and still save us. It seemed impossible that there should be hope for us who would sin against his holiness. But in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was victory that was achieved through one man's, through Christ's infinite sacrifice at the cross. It was achieved for us where God could both punish sin fully and yet provide free salvation completely. At one point, at the cross, the point of resolution, where he revealed, Jesus Christ has revealed as both the just and the justifier. I want you to turn to another verse, Romans 3.26. Romans 3.26. Everything meets in Jesus Christ. This is a really cool verse. Romans 3.26. He says this in Romans. You remember the verse there? For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. You remember that verse? And he goes on, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. He was the full satisfaction of all of God's wrath. All of God's wrath was taken out against him. The appeasement of God's wrath is what that word is, uh, the idea of. Uh, he was set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood. Required faith on our part to declare his righteousness for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now notice verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, that he might be declared righteous and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He's just. He's righteous. He did no wrong. He, he, didn't, he didn't go back on his word. And as well, he is the one who justifies every person who believes on his name. And at one point, Jesus Christ at the cross, he is both the just and the justifier of him that believes on him. What an amazing thing. Jesus stands as the ultimate hero, doesn't he? At the cross. He did all this for us. And so because the basic plot line of the Bible is tension between God's justice, his holiness, and his grace or his love, it's all resolved in one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus could tell his followers in Luke 24, all that the Bible says, all the scriptures from Moses, all the way through the prophets, they all speak about me. And no wonder their hearts burned on that night. 
No wonder their hearts is another way of, of saying their hearts just welled up inside of them emotionally. Wow, this is amazing. Their hearts were touched in their inner being. Why? Because Jesus was finally connecting all the dots. You know, another story where I really love this, this happening is when, when the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in the book or in the scroll of Isaiah down on the road to Gaza in Acts chapter number 8. And, and, and Philip comes along. He's placed there providentially by God. Philip comes along and says, hey, don't you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I except someone explains this, except some preacher comes along and helps me to understand this. So he gets up in the chariot and from that very point in Scripture begins to lead all the way to Jesus Christ. You realize that Philip, as a, as a deacon, as a, as a preacher, comes along and is able to, to show how everything comes back to Christ. Friends, the people don't understand the Bible. Oh, that we would understand that everything comes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to revolutionize the way that you study Scripture, personally. That's going to revolutionize the way that you speak about Scripture. Everything comes back to Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way, that all the promises of God throughout all of the Scriptures find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, for all the promises of Him, of God in him, Jesus Christ, are yea and in him, amen, or so be it, under the glory of God by us. So what's Paul saying? All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Man, what an amazing God. What an amazing book we get to study. Everything in the Bible, all the themes, all the patterns, all the, the main images, all the major figures point to Jesus Christ. Received a question from a new believer uh, today uh, asking about, in Revelation, about the Lamb. Does that, does that point to Jesus Christ? Is that Jesus Christ? And uh, does that have something to do with the Old Testament sacrifices? Yes. It all points to Jesus Christ. What an amazing book we get to, to read. It's not like some fairy tale fictional book that we get to read. It's, it's a true history. It's a true unified story about how God came to find us in the person of Jesus Christ who lived and died in our place so that we could be saved, so that we could have eternal life by grace through faith and live with him forever in a remade, completely renewed world. You ever wonder what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be perfection beyond our understanding. The Bible tells us that it is eye hath not seen, nor has entered into the heart of man what God is preparing for us. Can you imagine a world without sin? Corruption, fraud, deceit, greed, pride, arrogance, lying. Can you imagine? It's going to be that. It's going to be so good. So from this basic plot line uh, of scripture that we've gone over to, uh, tonight, the, the tragedy of man sinning against God's holiness, the tension between God's holiness and his, his infinite love, and the, the great resolution, the great rescue in Jesus Christ, it all co uh, comes down and gives us some profound insights, principles, and directives on how to live. We can look at the Bible in this way. The Bible is not primarily about us and what we should do. It's primarily about what Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. What he has done for a wayward creation and coming back to, to save us. And you know what? That's an amazing book. That is an amazing book. And how we ought to study it and, and find endless wonder in, in the resolution that God has provided 
for sinful man. And you know what? It is the greatest story. It's a story that can transform lives. It can transform family members that don't know Jesus Christ in your family yet. It can transform your neighbors. It can transform your coworkers. This is the most amazing book in all the world. And what a book that we get to share and study and uh, share on with others. So as we continue to go through this this series, I want us to understand we're gonna we are going we're setting some groundwork. We're gonna touch a little bit more on this grand story the next time we meet together in this next week. We get to be in uh, the revival meeting, but we're gonna continue to set the groundwork, and then we're gonna get into these books and we're gonna we're gonna overview these, and it's gonna be a really helpful thing to you, I I believe, and I, I hope that you'll stay engaged through it and invite others to be a part of it. We're no accident. Where we are right now, being a part of this church. What God has done in your life is no accident. God has been uh, wanting and desiring to save you and to bring you close to himself. Uh, It's no accident. He's revealed his plan. This is his plan, to bring you back to himself. And uh, praise God he has. Praise God he has. Praise God that we get to gather together as redeemed individuals, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed back to and reconciled with our Heavenly Father. Let's pray and thank him for that. Thank you, Lord, for your story that is so grand and amazing and lord as we continue on uh, through your story i pray that you would give us new and fresh understanding help it uh, help us to be able to see it as a cohesive narrative about what you are doing in the world and lord i pray that the understanding that we gain would not only benefit us but it would benefit others around us so that we might be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within us. And we'll praise you for what you do through our hearts. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.